colleagues themselves with an outreach that they're having next Saturday. So they are doing similar to what we do when we do pavements and streets where you have invitations and you invite people uh, to come to church. The following uh, Sunday, they're going to have a barbecue that will be in honor of veterans and others. But they've done this in the past. It's been fruitful and has brought people into the church. So they're just asking for uh, some people who would want to help them in that. And so, so what day is that? So it's next Saturday, the 13th at 11 a.m. in Flint. And so they're just asking for, for those who would want to help with that. Um, so they just show up at the church? Yep, just show up at the church. Now what we would need is, uh, if someone's interested, contact me. And then at the point of contact is actually Pat Lee uh, here. but. Then Tom Ford is working on that side of being life and is going to direct people where they would go. And um, there would be teams of at least two, if not three people, going to door to door with a flyer about the barbecue, inviting people. And then that could be a, um, a door for the gospel, too. You know, okay. All right, so that's the 13th. Next Saturday, the 13th. Saturday, the 13th. You know what time? 11 a.m. 11 o'clock. Alright, so if you're able to do that and you want to be participant in that, um, just talk to me. Talk to Jeremy and or Pat Lee and they'll give you all the final details, address, things yep. like that. Um, okay, uh, next time we clean is the, uh, the, the 17th of September. Uh, Probably won't be too big of a deal to clean. Uh, it'll be right after the Bible conference, and most of the Bible conference crew will have cleaned in the church for the most part. I don't expect it to be too bad for us, but um, you're all recruited to be part of the Bible team in the church anyway. So, uh, But anyway, I do want to say thank you guys for cleaning Friday. Amen. That was, that was I knew you, you guys were going. I didn't know you were going to do the whole thing. Thank you for that. That was a blessing and a half. Um, and uh, everybody that had was going to try to come at 5:30, so thank you for at least being willing to come to clean. It's important to clean the church, um, and uh, you guys are volunteering to do that. It was really nice. Thank you for that. Appreciate that a lot. Um, I want to pray for Judy Steele. I'm still. I think she's still having breathing problems, and, and I don't stay in just contact with her as much as I should or with Richard, so um, I don't know everything that's going on. Has anybody con contacted her or, or Richard recently and just kind of check in? If you, if you do that, please you know, just give me an update just so that I know what's going on. And then Terry Wilson, uh, she had surgery last Monday. And uh, Julie was with her to get her to the hospital and get her home. She's at home right now. She's recovering. And I guess when she said she's doing okay. So she's still got a long way to go to, to recovering, to recover from her surgery. So just pray for her. Um, you know, she um, she's pretty, uh, I hate to use the word shy, but she doesn't reach out a lot. So it would be good if us could just call Call her and pray with her. Call her and say, hey, we're thinking about you. Remember her. Um, and uh, I think that would be good for her. And then um, the other thing is uh, registration for, just as a reminder, if you haven't been through D1 and you want to, please sign up. Jeremy's the guy to see, talk to you about that anyway. 
Uh, and then D2 is the, if you want to take Discipleship 2 class, that's starting up on the 7th of November, 7th of September. Uh, and then the HBI starts here in a couple of weeks. So if you've been through D1, D2, and desire to, to go it further, HBI is the place to be for that. Um, a couple of other things that Brian sent an email, just a reminder. So we're, this coming Wednesday night, we have a guest speaker. His name is Ratan Ganjur. He's an Indian. Uh, he's from the country of India, and uh, he has a really unique ministry. He's on the on the he's in India, but he's on the border with Bhutan. That's where he lives, and he trains trains men to, to go into Bhutan to take the gospel into that country. And he's going to be speaking for a little bit. I don't know if you've got a video. I don't know what, how long he's going to take or anything, but it'd be good for you guys just to come and hear him. He's he, um, well, we helped train him through some of the trips that we had taken in to, uh, to India several years ago, and uh, we've been staying in touch with him ever since. So he's going to be here. Um, Brian just wanted to remind him tonight that his, he's going to complete First Timothy chapter three tonight at six o'clock evening service. And uh, thanks to everybody that supported the youth ministry for their camp. Apparently, they had a really good time. Um, I don't know if anybody, any kids were saved or any adults were saved for that matter, but I think it was definitely impacted and uh, they had a good time and they all came back um, without melting or anything and uh, so praise the Lord for that. So that's everything there uh, announcement wise uh, that I want to mention. So let's turn over to John chapter 1 where we're reading uh, for prayer. Um, we'll read through John chapter 1, starting in verse 19 down to verse 28. And uh, then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the lesson. The lesson, of course, is not in John, but this is where we're reading. This is where we get our prayer points this morning. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and, de and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou the prophet? And he said, and he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. And they, they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest baptize thou then, if thou be not Christ nor Isaiah, neither that prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one half among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred. Before me whose shoes I latched I cannot, I'm not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Beth and Beth Arba, beyond Jordan, where Jesus, or where John was baptized. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord. This is a reminder, Lord, in our life, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, Lord, in, in the lesson in, in Colossians. But our, our life ought to be a life that people would come to us and say, who are you and what what is what are you about and are you do you know Jesus basically the questions 
that they were being asked by the people that came to him. They're asking, do you know Jesus? Who is he? What is what's he all about? That should be the questions that people should come to us for when they see life in us that comes from Christ. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to be that kind of person, that you would give us the ability to, to answer those kind of questions when, when they come up. We pray, Father, for Terry Wilson, ask you to heal her body, and pray, Father, for Judy Steele, who's been away from from uh, from us for a, for a long time, really, several months, and we pray, Father, for her, that you would encourage her, heal, heal her lungs, Lord, and uh, just uh, pray that she'd be able to return uh, to full activity as soon as possible. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name.
So Father, we conclude in prayer again. We're just thankful that we can come before the, your throne and lay our petitions down at your feet, knowing, Lord, that you respond to all prayer that comes to you. We're thankful, Lord, uh, that we have a relationship with you. We're thankful, Father, that we have a relationship with each other. I pray, Father, that you would guide us and direct us in all things that we do. Help us to make the right decisions about things. And that, uh, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would just uh, be lifted up in our lives and others we see you. We just thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so we're in Colossians chapter 3. We're wrapping up chapter 3 today. It took us a lot longer to get through the chapter than I kind of thought it would, but it was, it's been a good good journey anyway. So we're starting in verse 17. Um, <clears throat> And uh, we're going to we're going to finish out this chapter. Let me read the passage, and uh, then we'll uh, we'll break it apart. So Paul starts writing in verse 17. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit to the Lord. In the Lord, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that the Lord, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So that's a powerful statement. In fact, the whole chapter, really the whole book, is just a powerful little four chapters. I don't know how many total verses, not very many, you know, probably 45, 50 verses total. But Paul says a whole lot here. And so these last few weeks, we have been working our way through the book of Colossians chapter 3. We've learned a lot about regarding what is essentially the idea of putting on Christ. That's kind of the direction that I see Paul going. He's talking about putting on Christ. And it reminds me of two verses. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, we see in Romans, Paul writes to the church there, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So Paul says to to that church, put on Christ. He doesn't specifically use that phrase in this chapter, but he does use a very similar phrase. Uh, concept and then in Galatians he also wrote to the church in Galatia chapter 3 verse 27 for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ so that talking about the process of how you put on Christ uh, as a as a person that received Christ as Savior so putting on Christ refers this is this is how I would define when somebody says what do you mean putting on Christ this is how I define it it refers to a pattern that we emulate in our walk as a true Christian so just think about that. To put on Christ is a pattern that you emulate. And when I say emulate, I mean copy, duplicate, do it the same way. So you emulate in your walk as a true Christian. In fact, last week, I used the title of my message last week, Dressing, uh, dressing for Sanctification. And, uh, and so um, that reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul said to that church, Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. And so there's an issue of sanctification that Paul is really kind of bringing out in these passages, in these verses 
that we just just read. So now he's given us a lot to think about, a lot to consider in this little letter. Starting in the first two chapters, he focused on doctrinal truths, and then he now in chapter three and again in chapter four, which is going to be a short chapter. But chapter three and four is how we live out or how we walk like a like Christ. Or maybe we should say living out the doctrine we, we all know and believe. How do we live out the doctrine that we claim to believe, claim to accept as truth? You know, there's a, there, you need to live it out, and that's what Paul is kind of focusing on. And so re, just remember, look back at verse 1 of chapter 3 real quick. Because this, this sets the tone really for the whole chapter. He says, if ye, be, if, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which are Christ, where Christ is on the right hand of God. And I talked about that, that, that phrase at the beginning of chapter 1. Or chapter 3, verse 1, the first part of that phrase, if ye be risen. There's a logic statement there. If you have been risen in Christ, and we, we broke that down a few several weeks ago. Now, what are we talking about being risen with Christ? What does it mean for Christ to be risen? What does it mean for you to be risen? And we looked at all those things. Basically, we came to the conclusion that every believer, every Christian, has, is, is going to rise up with Christ. There's no, there's no debating that. There's no, there's really no need to really uh, argue the point. We will rise up because Christ rose up. We will rise up, and so we talked about that. We broke it all down. So Christ is risen, and if you are risen, there are expectations that God desires to see in your life, so that the lost world will see Christ in action. Because you know how it is. People say, well, show me Christ or show me God. I don't believe that these exist. Bring, bring them right in front of me. And so the best way that you can do that is, okay, examine my life. You want to see Christ? You want to see God? Examine my life. And hopefully your life, when you say examine my life, you're emulating Him to a T. That means exactly. Not just the random patterns here or there, but that you're emulating Him exactly. So... Um, Starting back in verse 12, there was a list of what we need to put on that prepares us to forbear and to forgive. And we talked about that list. We broke it all down. I'm not going to go back to the list again or anything like that. Just as a reminder of where we've been. He told us in verse 15 to let the peace of God rule or arbitrate. Remember that word rule is, a, is an arbitrator? Let the peace of God arbitrate your walk. Uh, then in verse 16, he directed us to let the word of God dwell in us richly. Paul's not done with that. I mean, that we could have stopped. I mean, that would, that's a lot. That's a chunk. But we, but Paul's not done. And you may think that that would have been enough for us, but it's not. We should be able to figure out how to let the peace and of the peace and and how the the word, both the peace and the word of God, uh, through every thought, step, and word. But Paul goes on with some examples now. That's really what he's doing. He's giving us some examples. But I want to point out, first off, in verses 17 and 23, there's a literal application here that Paul says uh, is very important I want to point out. Notice in verse 17 and in verse 23, the first five words in both verses are exactly the same. He says, And whatsoever ye do, verse 17 and verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, in verse 23. So there's an issue about what are you doing. Paul's saying, okay, be... Bible says, be ye doers of the word. Okay, well, Paul's saying, okay, be a doer. Are you doing what you should be doing? That's what the whole letter really is ultimately about. 
So not only does he give us practical examples, he brackets our behavior. So your your behavior, if you want to have guideposts or you know uh, rails to run on, however you want to describe it, you know this. Don't go too far to the left. Don't go too far to the right. Stay in the middle here. If you want to know what Paul gives us, those those literal boundaries, those 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 borders, he brackets our behavior with two identical statements: one in verse 17 and one in verse 20, 23. So verse 17, he says, what you do, do it in the name of the Lord. That's what your first blank is, is the name of the Lord. Whatever you do, and you know what? When you have to be really honest with yourself. There's a lot of things you do. There's a lot of things you do. There's a lot of things we all do. I mean, some, some are right, some are wrong. There's just a lot of things we do. So whatever you do, Paul says, here's the boundary. Do it in the name of the Lord. That's the first boundary. Our life is made up of never-ending decisions, right? We, we have to make a decision all the time. I get up in the morning, oh, do I really want to go to church? Okay, yeah, I guess I'll go to church. Okay, well, do I really want to have breakfast? Yeah, so I want to have breakfast. Yeah, so who's driving? We decide that, you know, who's driving? Who's got the key? You know, I mean, this, that, this, this is little irrelevant decisions, but they're decisions that we make nonetheless. Some of them are hard, some of them not so hard. Fortunately, we have what I would call a decision-slash-action formula. We have a decision-making tool uh, that helps us make the right decisions, which, are, which, is, which in these verses, these are, this, this is what it is. Your decision-action formula. Everything we say and everything that we do must be linked to the name of the Lord. That's, that's, your, that's your guidepost. Everything we do, everything we say, everything that comes out of our mouth, everything that comes out of our behavior ought to uh, do be in the name of the Lord. So let me just say this. We need to keep things real. That's your next blank, is keep things real. So let me just make a quick comment about what do I mean keeping it real. Every part of every activity in your life should count for God. Every part of every activity should count for God. It should bring glory to God and Christ, not shame, not ridicule, and not insult. Whatever you do shouldn't tarnish the name of Christ. Whatever you do should glorify Christ's name. Whatever you do. Simply because you are risen. This is the reason why. Because you're risen, back in verse 1. We're all risen. We're going to rise up. I mean, we're, you know, we're either going to rise up at the rapture, or we're going to rise up out of the grave, if that's case, whatever happens for any, any one of us, um, but we will rise up. Christ will rise up. We will rise up. We will meet him in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So you're responsible then, and you will give account for every area of, to the Savior. We're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to give an account. He's going to say, what'd you do? Well, I didn't really do much. Okay, so we'll deal with that. Uh, what did you do? Well, I tried to glorify you. Okay, let's deal with that. I think that the judgment seat of Christ is going to be what did you do, what did you not do issues. That's the kind of issues you'll be facing. Everything you do in this world is a, is, as a, is a witness for Christ. Both your words and your deeds. They, they witness Christ to the world. Your behavior, your, the things that come out of your mouth, how you, how you act. It all, it, all, it all represents Christ. Think about that. Remember that 
we don't see it too much anymore. Maybe some of you have one. Remember that little bracelet, little rubber bracelet people you wish at WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is not that. Paul's not talking about that. Better off would be this bracelet. Where did I put it? Uh, um, WTGJ. That would be a better bracelet. What WTGJ. What does that stand for? Simply this. Well, Will this glorify Jesus? So we're not asking what would Jesus do. We're asking what are you doing to glorify Jesus? So WTGJ. WTGJ. That doesn't rhyme as much. That doesn't flow as well as WWJD. But Paul's not talking about what would Jesus do. Paul's talking about what are you doing. That the point is that he's making is what are you doing. It's not a decision of what Jesus did or will do. It's a point, are you glorifying Him? So Paul, in his, in his ways, uh, throughout his writings, he, he talks about his passion to please God. Do you, do each one of us, have a passion to please God? And that's a, that's a, hard, that's a hard question because, I mean, we may not always know exactly what pleases God in, in our behavior, but everything that we should do, we should emphasize that this is a, an attempt to please God. So let me give you three things that Paul does or did to please, to please his God. He was desired. He had a passion to please God. Starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he desired to magnify God or magnify Christ. He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by whether it be by life or by death, Paul says, "I don't care what I do, as long as Christ is magnified." That was that was his desire. He didn't care if he got stoned on the streets. He didn't care if he was beat up in, in, in Jerusalem. He didn't care. He didn't care what happened to him. He didn't care if he, he died on the shipwreck, got bit by a snake, and everybody thought he was going to die from it. Those things didn't bother Paul because whatever he did, he wanted to glorify God. What he means by this statement is that in his life, Christ is held up as the true and the right. Let me say that again. Whatever Paul desired to magnify, he wanted Christ to be held up as the true and the right. And so it means to enlarge and to make great. That's what the word magnifying, everybody, you're all familiar with the magnifying glass, right? You know, I, I got them right here. You know, this, this, the only reason I can read is because it's magnifying the size of the letters on the page so I can see them better. To magnify means to make it bigger, to amplify, to explore it better. Okay, the second thing that he had a passion to do was he desired to have an intimate knowledge of Christ. That's the next blank, is knowledge. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. Paul said that I may know him. That's, that was I love Philippians for these kind of verses because it, it really speaks intently on Paul's passionate desire to please his father. And then the third thing Paul said was that he wanted to, he wanted to live as Christ was he said to live as Christ is gain. Uh, that's the next verse. In Philippians chapter one verse twenty one he said, For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's all he wanted to do was gain Christ. So Christ lived in him and I think you are familiar with Galatians chapter two verse twenty. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, Christ is my life, he's, he's consumed my life, and I just want to please him. So the Christian life, just think about this for just a minute. Not, I think it's interesting. The Christian life is not just words. The Christian life is not a bunch of songs. Not a, it's not even sermons. It's not words. Christian life is not all about the words and the songs and the sermons that are said. It's about deeds. What are you doing? It's the deeds that you do. We have what we call a great commission in Matthew chapter 28. In fact, uh, uh, our, our visiting missionary, uh, was that last Sunday or the Sunday before last? Last Sunday, Dr. Pepper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two Sundays ago. Was it two Sundays? Yeah. I can't even keep straight. But anyway, you know, he, um, he talked about the Great Commission, and we have to fulfill that, so that's what we do. But too many, for too many Christians, Christianity is all talk and no action. And maybe you've heard the expression, uh, uh, if you're going to talk to talk, you need to walk to walk. That's, that, that's what that comes from. So Paul understood that when you truly know and love Christ, you truly want to please Him. If you truly know Christ, you truly want to please Him. And that means you find joy in, the, in obeying Him. And that's, uh, I don't know, nobody likes to obey anybody. Except I, I, I'm only going to obey myself. But uh, that's not what God says. God says you need to obey Christ. Paul understood that everything must be done properly. You know, things like good, good, good works like an orphanage, like a feeding center, like agricultural plans, they're all great. But don't let those things be the glory rather than Christ. And I'm sorry, but too many times, the orphanage that we're creating or the, the plans that we're putting together to, to uh, plant a crop for, for these people that need it, and, and they need it. I'm not saying that they may not need it. But don't let that be the glory. Don't let, don't let hey, we got a bountiful, bountiful crop out of that. But how many people were saved? Uh, well, we didn't really talk to them. We just gave them food. I've seen that kind of stuff happen. And so we we have to not just let we have to not let those things get the glory. We need Christ to get the glory. Okay, so that's just bracket verse seventeen. It's just kind of what do do in the name of the Christ. But what about verse twenty three? So verse twenty three is the other side of the road. You're trying to walk this narrow path. Verse twenty three: Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. So what you do, verse twenty three: What you do, do it heartily, with a heart. Um, so you should desire to do all you do as though you are in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ because you are in His service. There's really only one reason to do it this way, that it is clear that being the Lord's servant is worth it all. Being a servant of God, uh, uh, through uh, servant of Christ, is, is worth it all. Peter, so Peter has a couple of things that he focuses on this kind of, on this concept as well. He tells us that doing... Doing things like this, when we do this kind of thing, we put foolish men to silence. That's your blank. He says in 1 Peter 2.15, excuse me, he says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. With well-doing you put to silence the foolishness of wicked, or ignorance of wicked foolish men. 
put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Paul says to the Romans, very similar type of thing, that doing indicates our loyalty to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You want to, prove, you want to demonstrate your loyalty to the Lord? Well, do something for the Lord. In Romans 14.8, Paul wrote this, Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Wherefore we live, therefore... Whether we therefore... Let me start over again. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord. There's a loyalty that we our life needs to portray and demonstrate. Even Jesus understood this very same concept. He said, Jesus understood our doing identified the source of our reward, which in this case is God. God is our is the resource of, of reward, not man, not institutions, not not projects that we do. Projects are great, but we don't glorify in the project. We use the project so that God will get the glory. Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter six, verse sixteen. Moreover, when ye fast, do not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they have disfigured their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Just recognize what's happening here. Okay, and then and then he jumps into the starting in verse twenty or verse eighteen. He jumps into some examples, practical examples, and I, I kind of really pondered this because he didn't really drill down in any one of these things. But these are important topics. And so I will say this. Paul's not beginning a new subject here. What we need to know about these things, and there's, there's several passages here, several points. What he's making here is that it's only when the work and the Word of Christ dwell in us are we able to behave in a Christ-like manner in any of our relationships. And Paul gives us some examples of how we should let the word and the word dwell in our life. I want to give you a quote. This is written by a guy named A.T. Robertson. He was an early 20th century Bible scholar. We've got a couple of his books. Um, pretty good. He said this. I'm going to read it kind of slow so you can grasp because I don't. You don't have a copy of it. I don't. Is it in the notes? Oh, okay. Let me read it slow. Real Christianity is both a doctrine and a life. Mere belief is dead without life as proof. I love that. Mere belief is dead without life as proof. He goes on, he says, Real spiritual life is impossible without vital contact with God and Christ. And our dealings with others become the final proof of our real connection with Christ. How we react, how we interact with other people, he says, the dealings we have with other people is the final proof of our relationship with Christ. If we don't have a proper relationship with Christ, we're not going to deal with people the way Christ wants us to deal with people. I, I thought that quote was really good. So, let me just say this. The title of this message, this lesson in this here, is what I call Conduct Becoming. How did I title that? Conduct Becoming a Believer. So, the, word, the phrase Conduct Becoming is actually kind of a military phrase. And it means... What, is, what it says is, what is the appropriate behavior? What is fit behavior? What is proper to do? It's not about your outside appearance. I'm not talking about conduct becoming. I'm talking about what, you, what you're, you know, you're wearing a three-piece suit or a dress or, you know, long hair short hair. I'm not talking about your outward appearance. That's not what I'm talking about, conduct behavior. It's not your outward appearance. It's, it's, instead, it's that your conduct should reflect who you are. 
your conduct, your behavior, your actions, the two boundaries, should reflect who you actually really are. And the concept is baked right into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which everybody remembers, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are, are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Conduct becoming new. Your conduct should always be reflective of the new person that you claim to be. If you be risen, you're a new person. If you be risen, your conduct should reflect that. That's what Paul's getting at. The point is simply this. If you're risen with Christ, if you're a new creature and old things are passed away, then everything, including your conduct, should be new. We shouldn't continue to act the way we used to act when we were a lost person. We shouldn't go that. To, we shouldn't go back there. I mean, sometimes it's really easy, especially for young Christians, new Christians, uh, because of habits in their flesh. Our flesh is, is prone to habits, right? And so it's easy to drop back into that behavior of the old person. And then Paul says, uh, "No, if you're a new creature, old things are passed away. So be, conduct your conduct ought to become the new person that you that you are." It is true, it is true of you that your newness must be lived out in the most critical relationships. And it's really interesting. Paul lists them out. So, this, so I'm going to read them all right now, but let's go back to verse, uh, let's see, where are we? Verse 18. Verse 18 says wives. Verse 19 says husbands. Verse 20 says children. Verse 21 says fathers. Verse 29, I'm sorry, 22 says servants. And he goes on and down. So these are relationships. And this is really interesting. The newness of your relationship must be lived out in the most critical of all relationships. Some relationships you have are just downright critical to have right, to get them right. Marriage or your family is one of those critical relationships. Husbands and wives, wives and husbands, and parents and children. They, we've got to get it right. We've got to do it right. So what Paul is introducing is a new presence in your family. When you got saved, there's a new presence in your family. Everybody knows who it is, right? Christ. Christ is now in your life. He is part of you. He is He is increasing you and you're inside Him as well. Uh, so, what Paul is introducing is a new presence in your family relationships. That, and that new presence is Christ which is introduced. Now, now look at verse... I think I have this in your handout. Uh, verse 18, 20, 22, 23, and 24. This is where Christ is introduced into your relationships. Verse 18, as it is fit in the Lord, is what it says. Your relationship ought to fit the Lord. In verse 20, this, this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Your behavior within those relationships ought to be ought to please God. Uh, verse 22, there needs to be a little bit of fear of the Lord. Because you will answer for your behavior. So there's a fear of the Lord. And in verse 23, is it out of your heart unto the Lord? Is it out of your heart what we should be doing? And in verse 24, you should be serving serving Christ. So you can see all of those concepts in those five verses. Yeah, five verses. So whatsoever you do in your family, this is basically what boils it all down to this. Whatsoever you do in your family, do it all for, the, for Christ's name. That's what Paul is talking about. That's why he points out family first. Now we know that the parallel passage is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33 for marriage. 
notice it's really interesting. Paul doesn't really deal a lot with marriage in these three verses of Colossians. Because he's just pointing out this is what you need. This is what you need to do. And then we, we can... If, so uh, there's a lot to be said about marriage. And in fact, we have a lot of available teaching on the subject of marriage. Uh, and like I said, the, the parallel passage of Ephesians chapter 5. But we're not going to get into all of that. We're not going to... That, that's not where Paul was going with these with this list this time. He's just giving you... These are places where it is critical that you do and you say and you behave like Christ in these relationships. It's just giving the church some things to think about. And also, just as I mentioned, the parallel passage for, for the verses, the, uh, verse 20, when it talks about children obeying your parents and all things, and then fathers not provoking your children to anger. The parallel passage for that, for the parent and child, is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 3. But again, we can't dive into all of what the Bible says about marriage and family right now because we don't have the time to deal with all of that. The point is this. The point that Paul is making is that he wants you to see the application of two things that are definite that define our conduct in our relationships. First, verse 18. I'm just not just about the wife. We, there's, a, there's a level of submission as it is fitting in the Lord. Every one of us submit. There's, see, even I'll take a minute. I'll just say this: as a as a as a believer, we are part of the bride of Christ. That makes us the wife of Christ. That means we are to submit. Fits really nice. That's as far as we're going to go in the marriage concept right now. But we also need to um, submit as the Lord. Submit as it is fit in the Lord. Verse eighteen. But then verse 19, you know what our relationship ought to do? We had a love without bitterness. We had a love without bitterness. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So bitterness in a wife and discouragement and anger in your kids because you don't love. Because you're not, you're not, not doing what, what Christ wants you to do. So this new presence of Christ in the family makes the family what it needs to be, what it ought to be, to which then translates into what the church ought to be. If all of, if everybody's family was right, the church would be right. It's an interesting leap, but it's it's actually a true leap. Now one thing is obvious in the battle, in, I'm sorry, in this in the Bible, I think everybody would agree that we that we love God because He first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says that we love Him because He first loved us. His love gives us the ability to love Him back. So I kind of was thinking about this and praying over it over the weekend. And Paul's telling the husband to love without bitterness and the father to not provoke, provoke to anger and discouragement. And let me just say, the best way for the head of the home to avoid being the source of bitterness, anger, and discouragement is to live out love. Let me, let me say that again. The best way for the head of the home to avoid being the source of bitterness, anger, and discouragement is to live out love. See, if you don't love your wife, if you don't love your kids, you will provoke them. You will uh, lose your, your relationship with your, with your wife. You, you cause her to be bitter. If the husband-father 
person is the source of love in the home, there's a new purpose in that home, which is the presence of Christ that flows through all of these relational connections found in the home. Now, how does a, you know, we, I think we all would, would agree, and I'm not probably going to say this exactly right, but the man ought to lead his family, the husband ought to lead his wife, the father ought to lead the, the children. To what? In what? How? In love? How to teach them how to love according to Christ? If the father is doing what he should be doing, all the relationships, family relationships, will be right. If the father is not loving, the family relationship is not right. Does that make sense? Is this you're tracking with that? Okay. The father, you know, we get that from God the Father. His relationship with us is through love. And we behave because he loves us and we love him and then we should be able to love others as well. The father. The father in the family. The father in, in God's family is him. And the father in your family is you, men. And so we should love. We should love. So we don't draw people to bitterness and anger and discouragement. Whatever your home is and whatever you do needs to be bracketed by the name of the Lord, verse 17, and it should be done heartily by the bracket of verse 23. That's why he put verses 20, 17 and 23 in there and then put everything else in the middle of all of that. He's bracketing all of these things. So, okay, so we talked about you know family relationships, 18 to 21, but then in verse 22 to 23, he kind of changes the concept uh, verse 21 fathers for this no 22 sorry servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh not with thy services men pleasers but in singleness of heart fearing God and whatsoever you do do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men okay so in all relationships that we give we, we have there's a give and take of submission and obedience as well as in an, even in an employment relationship we still have that that, that give and take. This pairing, the, the servant and, the, and the, uh, the master, is the best example of living out submission and authority. Many homes in Paul's time, now we don't have servants. Most of, I don't think anybody here has a servant in their home. You know, uh, not, not in the sense of what Paul was talking about, where people actually were servants, whether they were paid or slaves. They were, they were, there's a relationship that Paul's addressing here. Now, we're not slaves. Even if you feel like you are at your God, we're not slaves. We still serve our employer not to please men, but because we fear God. And then the last thing he talks about in verse 24 and 25 is a reward. So behavior brings to a reward. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance. For ye serve the, serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he had done, and there is no respect of person. So Paul, uh, the, Jesus Christ, when he brings you to the judgment seat of Christ, uh, he's, he's not going to he's not going to uh, respect you for what you did or didn't do. He's going to look because of who you are, not not as a you know your status, but he's going to look what did you do, what did you say, how did you love, how was your relationships, and he's going to ask you, and you're going to have to answer him. And you, and what's at, what's at stake is what you inherit. And uh, I don't have a time uh, to, to address the inheritance part, but we get to inherit the kingdom of God. What part of the kingdom of God depends on where you line up in, in this in this judgment. 
or you don't get anything. And you can First Corinthians chapter fifteen, chapter three, verse fifteen. I think it is, because you'll suffer loss. You'll still be saved. Still go to heaven. Still go to kingdom with God. You just won't be able to, to serve as well and rule as well, and you won't have crowns to give back. So, so Paul is really laid out very interestingly uh, how we need to be like Christ, be an example of Christ, bracket our life in verse 17 and verse 23. Um, uh, verse 17, whatsoever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. In verse 23, uh, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And so so doing things uh, is important. What are we going to do? How are we going to do? And it affects the relationship, not just husband and wife and children, but every relationship is affected by how we bracket our behavior and try to narrow it down to be as close to the Christ as possible. Our conduct ought to be, become, conduct becoming a Christian, conduct becoming Christ. The only, different, the only definite way to, to define what is a Christian supposed to do and be is to look at Christ. Because that's what a Christian should be, is what Christ is. And we don't define it by what how many churches you go to, or how much how much your tithe is. I mean, those things those things should be happening anyway because you love. You want you want your family to be in Christ or in church. You want your uh, you want your church to be in uh, a, a role model for the community. Those kind of things. And so uh, next week we'll we'll jump back into chapter four, not back, but into chapter four. Um, and we'll see some responsibility. And it's really interesting because when he, when he starts off in chapter 4 at the beginning, he's talking about praying, the need for prayer. And um, and so I'm going to try probably go a different way than maybe most people think about prayer. Um, I saw some stuff in my reading this past week uh, that I thought, wow, I never saw that before. And so I just want to lay all that out for you in comparison to what we think prayer should be look, look like. And so, uh, so that's kind of where we're going to go. So we're a little bit early finishing up here this morning, uh, but that's okay. Sometimes we go long, so it's going to balance with all that. So let's pray, and then um, then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture and the encouragement that we get from things like this. And think about it, really, to ponder, Lord, what our behavior is and how we should conduct ourselves. And it's good to have roadmark where we can. Um, where we can have some boundaries. Don't go too far this way. Don't go too far that way. Uh, and so uh, pray, Father, that you guide us and direct us and help us to be exactly where we want us to be, right in the middle, that our conduct would be becoming of Christ. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Mom, we'll see you later.